Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. I remember seeing people in trees. Um, I remember giving out food. Um, I remember having small protests. I remember rats. <laughs> they, they were there before the encampment and they, they stayed and grew with the encampment. Hi, how are you? I she was there. I remember when I went to a protest. But she was there, maybe uh, she was a year old, but she oh, was out wow. there. I remember I went to a protest with Joyce and when I went to a protest, cops were killing and stuff and putting people to jail and they're doing all that other stuff. Oh wow. Did you like the protest? Mm-hmm. What, it was fun. What did you like about it? George, I didn't like nothing about it, but George liked it so much. Oh really? I went to bed in the car. <laughs> Are you a news reporter? I am. Oh. That was Joyous Diasis and Samara Ward, talking with Oakland poet and activist Nita B, and making contacts Marie Che about Occupy. This week on Making Contact, we revisit the people in the trees, the protest, the police, as this month marks the five-year anniversary of Occupy. Producer Marie Che takes us to Zugatti Park out in Wall Street and Oakland, California. We try to gain insight with some of the folks that were on the ground. We revisit how Occupy started, how it fell apart, and what people learned in those remarkable few months. I'm your host, RJ Lozada. Stay tuned. We begin this year in this administration in the midst of an unprecedented crisis that calls for unprecedented action. If we do not act boldly and swiftly, a bad situation could become dramatically worse. of Zuccotti Park, there's this uh, geometric uh, red structure that we would refer to as like the red thing. Um, anytime we had a meeting or needed, you know, some some place, uh, this this was it. Um, and it got to the point where you know it was very competitive to have a meeting under the red thing. You know, like everyone wanted to meet there. September 17th, 2011, Occupy Wall Street, Zuccotti Park. 99% versus the 1%. A response to the economic meltdown and continual economic depression experienced in the United States and around the world. Before they were dubbed Occupy Wall Street, they were the New York General Assembly. An exercise, an expression of direct democracy. Marie met up with activist and filmmaker Marissa Holmes, who was a member of the General Assembly and then a working group facilitator for Occupy Wall Street for a brief tour of Zuccotti Park. Zuccotti Park was actually the third choice uh, on the list. So we want, so Wall Street was number one. The second one was Chase Plaza. Um, and both of those were barricaded off uh, on the day of. So we ended up making the decision to come to Zuccotti Park. It, it was beautiful. I, I don't even know, like, <laughs> um, thousands of people were, you know, were listening to each other and speaking and, you know, being heard by one another. And um, So there, there was this question, you know, on the table during the assembly, like, should we occupy or not? Because the, the call had gone out to occupy Wall Street, of course, and a lot of people were there for that reason. Um, but we wanted to make sure that 
whoever was engaged in the action had, had a say in uh, how that action was, was happening, right? Um, so how, how it was organized. So we opened up the space in the assembly to, you know, to really ask people, like, what did it mean to occupy and whether or not they're willing to, to do that? And um, yeah, and after a lot of discussion, um, people consented, this crowd of thousands of people consented to stay and occupy Zakati Park. What was happening at Zuccotti Park and quickly spreading to cities and towns across the country was different, and many in the mainstream news media weren't sure what to make of it. There is no doubt the Occupy Wall Street protests have ignited support around the country. What is it about the movement that's drawing growing numbers of Americans? As the Occupy Wall Street movement grows in numbers across the country, it is also accumulating trash and lots of it. It's a, a garbage bin down there. They're not only occupying space, the protesters at Wall Street are also blocking businesses and clogging the legal system. Are the Occupy Wall Street folks really just trying to shut down the economy? The Occupy Wall Street movement is not is not a spontaneous protest against economic inequality. It is a well-thought-out campaign to bring down the infrastructure of this country, to turn us into a Western European-type entitlement state. They put their tent there for a couple of weeks. Next thing you know, the sod is dead. And that's why I don't sleep on my lawn anymore. It kills my grass. I go indoors. Well, right. I thought you were well, sleeping you in the doghouse. Right, that's true. This was the scene last night in Oakland, California. Is this America? You better believe it is. We are witnessing 30 years of failed Republican economic policies all coming to a head. In addition to all of this, people were struggling to hold down the camps. So like there was of course like the, the east and the west side you know, divide that happened. Um, and this is something that like uh, The Daily Show loved to, to make fun of. But basically the, the west side was um, you know where like the media was and the assembly and like you know people with their laptops and you know Apple products and whatever. And then <laughs> the West Side was like the ghetto of the park. You know, this is like how how it was described in the the mainstream, but also like in, internally in the camp. Like there there were real divisions, you know, between people who like had places to go because of you know like their own access to stuff, right? and people who didn't, and especially over time when it became more of like a, a homeless encampment. Um, yeah, you know, like people were here for different reasons too. Like some people were here because they really just needed access to services so they didn't have other places that the state wasn't providing for them, right? And we were providing like three meals a day and you know, like a tent and, and a community of support or trying to. So I don't know, it's tricky. Um, and then also to do all of that like in, in a situation where like you're under constant repression, right? Like of course those things are going to come up because we still live like under the material conditions of capitalism and like you can't just like ha having a like a truly liberated society in which uh, resources are you know equitably 
uh, distributed and people have access and everyone feels like they have a say and all of that, like actually creating that is going to be like a lifetime of work, if not many lifetimes of work. And so, um, I don't know, like I feel like we tried to create some things, some things were really liberating and you know, also like those structures still exist. So yeah, we, uh, Zuccotti Park was not, was not a utopia. Occupy Wall Street was broken up on November 15, 2011. The park owners cited unsanitary conditions, and the New York Police Department proceeded to evict protesters. Anniversaries happened soon after, but since 2012, there hasn't been any notable gatherings in remembrance and celebration. Here's Marissa. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, years later, when I come back to the, to the park, I think, like, I guess like how much of, a, of an anomaly that was, you know, like it's uh, the space now is is this concrete uh, block, you know, with people having lunch or passing through, um, and it's it's very commercialized, you know, like there are all these these street vendors and people selling things, and so yeah, so it's I mean it's sad to come here years later, you know, um, and and I do I come here every once in a while just to to remember. Uh, you know, I walk through this space, I walk through Wall Street, and I, I just try to remember like the sense of possibility that was felt. Um, yeah. Producer Marie Che brings us more voices of people involved in the different circles and elements of Occupy Oakland. Whether anarchist or caregiver, there's no denying that Occupy brought communities together. My name is Christophe Lopor, and I guess I'm an organizer. I was an organizer during Occupy. I was an organizer before that, and I'm still an organizer. Heard about the original call out um, that was made well before, when did it start? September, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and thought that it was not a particularly good idea, plan. The part of the formula they got right was we're gonna stay. What got me to take to, to, to pay attention to Occupy, because from what I saw was that it was a white, mostly white, all middle class movement. And I'm like, whatever, whatever. They're just feeling the crunch now that we've always felt that everyone wanted not to talk about, that we, our issues were never brought to the table. But when it hit the international scene, then I'm like, oh, this is kind of big. Uh, my name is Samsara Morgan. My involvement with Occupy was that I'm the founder of Children's Village and I uh, co-facilitated it with, there were three other women that were pretty much uh, the backbone of making sure that space ran and all kinds of wonderful volunteers. I am the founder of the Parents and Allies Caucus of Occupy Oakland, the Children's Village uh, committee, the Children's Committee, the Occupy Decolonize Birth Parenting and Pregnancy Caucus as well. Maybe Occupy Wall Street had, was like a day old when I bumped into them on Ustream. I think it was Ustream, one of those streaming services. And they, they were fa I was fascinated by what they were doing, you know, and I worked in the financial district, you know, I worked in Tara One of the Trade Center. So they were right there <laughs> doing this stuff and it was just amazing to me that they were just being so amazing and brave and powerful and that they were on no news 
whatsoever. Not anything, not democracy now, not anything. Uh, and so I was really, I think something popped up on Facebook saying that there was going to be an Occupy here in Oakland. I was like, great, that's fabulous. I got involved here in Oakland because at the first planning meeting or two, I saw behaviors that was that let me feel very uncomfortable. I felt disrespect of elders. I saw a lot of mansplaining going on, a lot of rudeness, disquiet, disrespect going on. And my concern was, as a person who's a mama in this community and a grandma in this community, I knew Oaklanders would be bringing their kids into that space. And there needed to be civility somewhere. I'm Rebecca Ruiz Sunwoo. I'm um, an organizer with Idris Ali Foundation. I was traveling at the time, and um, I think during when the camps were actually set up in Oakland, I was in New York, and I had gone to Occupy Wall Street, um, which was a, a, a really bizarre experience. I was like with some um, people of color activists there, and there were some women who were trying to address this person who had like perpetrated multiple sexual assaults on the, um, at the encampment and just being met with a lot of like, why don't you just call the police by these like Occupy activists? Like, you know, you should just call the police. And they were like, no, you know, we want to be able to address these issues here and not really being able to. So I had already kind of like had these experiences when I returned to Oakland and was hoping that, um, the Oakland encampment would be a bit different. In Oakland, um, a lot of us had worked together um, beforehand. A lot of organizers, a lot of networks of people were activated for a meeting. Um, and essentially the meeting was to determine whether or not, you know, the folks in the East Bay would join the San Francisco occupation or start something in Oakland. And almost, you know, five minutes into that meeting, it was just obvious we were going to start something new in Oakland that we didn't want to join San Francisco. On Monday, October 10, 2011, the Occupy Oakland encampment went up. I told a bunch of my friends who came, and the folks that I, who I invited were the only folks that I really knew from Oakland. Um, it was who that movement was. And I still had hope. I still was like, you know what, but we, we're Oakland. You know, we ahead of the game. We can take this shit over. We can start from the beginning, right? And none of my homies who were in Oakland organizing felt me. Like, they're just like, nah, that ain't our shit. And I said, it ain't our shit, but it's the world shit. And we have a chance to make this some shit. We've all been organizing. We've all been organizing for decades. And we've had absolutely no concessions. So how do we, who are established and who are rooted here, jump onto this shit when it's just starting, before any claim has been laid, and put our demands on the table? They got no demands right, but we do. We've been had demands, so we put out the demands. But the day it happened, it was so seamless. It was so beautiful. And the people I saw out there, it was, there were so many people. There were so many people of all walks of life. Um, and it was just really beautiful. So I remember that. I remember the times that, I mean, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, I remember that we were able to feed hella people. 
I remember that hella people who had nowhere to go and I had a place to go. Um, <clears throat> I remember people who were addicts stopped being addicts because they felt they had purpose now in life. Um, I remember people who got woke, folks who normally wouldn't get um, involved, even naysayers, right? It was a really vibrant um, little miniature city. Um, and so in that sense, there was like a, it was really established a place. And then that place, there was, there was some feeling that that place needed to be in opposition to or in conflict with the city, the state, the people that are causing the problems that were here essentially to protest. And on the 25th of October, police violently fought with occupiers in an attempt to destroy the encampment. I am Sergeant King, police officer for the city of Oakland. I hereby declare this to be an unlawful assembly. And in the name of the people of the state of California, command all those assembled at both East and Broadway to immediately leave. If you refuse to move now, chemical agents will be Flashbang. People didn't run far. That's good. People are starting to cover their faces. Seems like there's gas coming. Put your head up. Thank you, sweetie. Hi, I'm Sandy DiMolanta. We were marching uh, about a thousand strong down on Broadway. We stopped to take over the plaza, we saw a riot police. We changed our course and moved on to Snow Park to assemble, but we came back to the plaza to take back the plaza. And we got closer and closer to the police line, and we were just about there when they kept talking about the penal codes, and they kept saying that they were gonna throw tear gas if we didn't move away. That's when, in about three minutes, the tear gas bombs, they started flying, and the crowd dispersed, and we moved away from the area of contamination. But we're still strong, we're still out here, and we're not going to quit until we take the plaza back. state-sponsored violence brought worldwide attention to Occupy Oakland, and the momentum inspired thousands of people to gather on November 2nd to shut down the Port of Oakland. Rise up! Shut it down! Oakland is a people's town! Rise up! Shut it down! Oakland is a people's town! We need to turn that engine off and come out of the truck. Because the people are not going to let you go home the same way that we're all going home. 
While Occupy Oakland was able to mobilize huge numbers of people, it failed to grapple with its own contradiction. And inevitably, it came to a head with the Decolonize Oakland proposal. Despite strong support, the decolonized proposal didn't pass, and eventually Occupy fizzled out, with the last encampment at Snow Park dismantled. Five years later, lessons learned. It was an opportunity for us to learn and really see, begin to see um, the power of the state, the invisible hand of government. Like, Jean Kwan and none of the other mayors were really tripping on us. They got yanked from their offices, and then the invisible hand of the state descended and smashed, right? Like, even if Kwan didn't want to agree with us or whatnot, like, she wasn't going to have a state saying how she was going to deal with this as a mayor, you know? I don't like Jean Kwan, but I think that's what happened. All the new shiny toys that we didn't see before Occupy, all the new riot gear they had, the tanks. It's hard to say that specifically, um, that it shifted for me. I mean, like I said, I've been organizing for a while at that point. I think I, I learned a few things. One of the things that I learned, or one of the things that changed for me, is really appreciating the value of, um, I guess what I would say is, uh, <laughs> it feels slightly demeaning to say it, but I guess liberal cover so when radicals are in the streets, um, there's an amount of sympathy and you know in the population that is really important to maintain, um, and oftentimes that's difficult um, because a lot of the things that you have to say, or a lot of your political positions, are still anathema to large portions of the population. But during Occupy, there was there was a general consensus. Um, I think nationwide, that what was going on was good, that Occupy was in the right. Because people were able to see themselves in it and see themselves represented. And, you know, our conditions didn't change. We're still organizing. We organized before folks came here. We're still organizing now. Um, or trying to build, if not organizing, build something. I have regret around Occupy because it was a giant wave of gentrification. And at that moment, like, we were having a lull in the gentrification. And then after that, it skyrocketed. So there's regret 
because of that. There was sort of like this movement celebrityism that happened. And so um, people would be arrested, bringing attention to like the police brutality of Raheem Brown. And then they would raise all this money for bail. In the meantime, like Raheem Brown's like funeral still hasn't been paid for. Um, and like his family was like, you know, struggling on uh, legal resources. And so there would be all of these resources poured into kind of like um, this, you know, like social movement hashtag them of like Occupy. And people would be like, we just want to support that movement. And that would t- kind of like deflect attention away from the people who are really suffering. We really need to center the people most affected. Um, and so th- one of the dangerous things I think about Occupy was that it was like, where it's just us, like, again, about Occupy Oakland was like, it's just us against the police. And I was like, no, but we all have different levels of risk and exploitation and oppression, and that needs to be addressed. My name is Ashoka Finley, and I am a black radical. I think that Occupy Farm was definitely a victory. Um Victory, I think, oh, this is an important lesson to learn. Victory isn't like a pure state. Like in the real world, it's not win or lose. Um, It's like, it's more negotiated than that. And so, yeah, they got their supermarket, but yeah, we got our farm. And yeah, it's not as big of a farm as we wanted. And realistically, like they probably have their sights on this land too. Um, But the fact that we have a farm here now is really going to impact that. I think that, yes, it is a victory. I think from any victory, there's also like the subtle defeats or the subtle compromises that we had to make in order to make this happen. And I think there's there's lessons to be learned. Yeah, I think that the skills that were distributed and taught to people, like thousands of people have visited the Guild Tract and learned like about organic farming and sustainable farming and attended workshops on like everything. Um, and that is, that's a guaranteed win. Like that is an amazing thing to have happen. And that seed has been planted. And I know people like, like the guerrilla gardening and the urban gardening movement is is larger because of it like without a doubt um and that's that's an amazing win and so the trajectory of victory is going to be longer than we hope um i think is probably the lesson that i understand from this i think like it continues to like solidify my belief that like the bourgeois cannot ever be in a leadership, ever. And um, white folks can't either, actually. Um, that's just like fully, solid. I mean, I already felt that, but after seeing all, I'm like, nah. Even amongst people of color, like, no, y'all need to sit down. You're too, you have, when we start having too much invested in capitalism, our, our, we get blurry on the destination. And I think the big takeaway, the beautiful takeaway, was, again, the lives that were changed and the ability that we were able to take care of ourselves and each other with nothing based on the surplus of others, right? There was so much surplus of food, of children's needs, of um, medical supplies, of clothes were always art supplies you know there was just so much 
of access to media, that people's voices, there was, you know what I'm saying? There was, we did that off people's surplus and then we're able to do for self because of that in the face of City Hall who didn't want to deal with anything, you know? So, and you know, that, that's a beautiful thing. And that that act right there of people taking care of themselves and each other could change lives that didn't think they could be changed before was really powerful. And that's it for this week's Making Contact. Special thanks to Apex Express. For more information on their show, go to apexexpress.org. Lisa Rudman is our executive director. Monica Lopez, Marie Che, and Anita Johnson are our producers. Quan Booth is our digital content and community engagement manager. To download a copy of our show or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit radioproject.org. I'm your host, RJ Lozada, and thank you for listening to Making Contact.